Tim Fitzgerald with Go Power Cat in the last hour brought up a great point about competitive balance in the Big 12 as things go forward. Of course, this is all of the realignment talk and potential of super conferences is being mentioned out there. Hi, Troy Coverdale in uh, again this afternoon. No Mitch Fortner, no David G. Mitch is out rocking his skull off tonight, and David G. is babysitting. Also potentially rocking his skull off tonight, just in different ways. <laughs> so the adult is in the building, and her name is Sage. Um, <laughs> yesterday began SEC Media Days, and there are a few adults in the building, and then there are Alabama fans who show up, by the way, dressed like they're going to a game. I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. There are folks showing up in their shoulder pads and they're like, you know, like one of the Chiefs super fans types showing up at media days. Nonetheless, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC yesterday, really nailed the position where that conference sits in the midst of all of the realignment talk. There's no sense of urgency in our league, no panic in reaction to others' decisions. We know who we are, we are confident in our collective strength, and we are uniquely positioned to continue to provide remarkable experiences, educationally and athletically, along with world-class support to student-athletes. It's a great point. There's nothing that the SEC can do at this moment or needs to do at this moment to address what the situation is. That said, it prompted plenty of conversations about what the future does hold. Among them, of course, the conversation about where Notre Dame falls into the mix of this. New LSU head coach Brian Kelly knows also all too well where Notre Dame sits in terms of its mindset as an independent while everything is swirling about them. But as he takes over LSU, he says that super conferences are likely where we're headed. This conference realignment will be such that there'll be a super conference that has rules that um, the, the buy-in to be in this super conference will be expensive. Like you're going to have to give up a lot of your resources and your university is going to have to make a decision what they want to do. You're going to have to be invited in to an exclusive club. And then everybody else can play college football at their level of comfort. But that's what it's going to end up looking like when all the smoke settles. 40 or 50 teams? Yeah, probably. But it's going to be expensive to do it, too, because you're going to have... Probably deregulations where there's not going to be um, numbers of staff members. There's probably going to be unlimited resources, and it's going to be expensive to do it. Now, the paydays are going to be bigger, but it's going to be an all-in kind of situation, and some schools are not going to want to do that. And so I think everybody will be they'll be happy where they are, and others will kind of settle into where that place is. I mean, granted, we are headed towards professionalism of college athletics. That's essentially what he's getting to. I don't know that there are 50 schools that can come up with the resources that Brian Kelly thinks that will be able to do it. 
Think about that for a moment. The number of Division I FBS programs, and right now there aren't enough of them to fill out the conferences if realignment occurs and some of the lower conferences take another hit. Prime example of that right now is Conference USA, which finds itself actually adding one of the schools that nobody ever wanted to add to their mix, New Mexico State. And the only reason that New Mexico State got added, well, besides the fact that Conference USA needed membership, UTEP, I mean, it's, it's the rivalry. UTEP had been angling for years to get New Mexico State in, and finally there was enough space for them to do it. Well, what happened? The AAC lost teams to the Big 12, and here we go. So what happens as things continue to move, maneuver through in realignment? Can you believe that they are talking, yes, FCS schools moving up again? Having been at an FCS program, ironically one that was in the process of moving from Division II to Division I when I first moved there, so I got to see the process of just that portion of the transition. The usual suspects at that level are being mentioned, and we've seen some already leap at the chance, James Madison. Marshall did it how many years ago when given the opportunity? But it's a tough move. Think about this for a moment. North Dakota State has dominated that division for so long now. Just as they were among those who dominated Division II, by the way. They've dominated for so long, and of course all of the talk is each time around that we go through this shuffling that maybe they should be the next school added. It's a stretch to say that that dome seat's 17,000. That's going to be a resource challenge, a huge resource challenge for North Dakota State. It's a resource challenge for any of them. Montana sits there with 25,000, by the way, for their stadium. They could make the move but they recognized 10 years ago that it wasn't a feasible move for them because of the price tag. But here we are again trying to fill out the FBS level because the smaller conferences keep losing to the bigger conferences. I struggle to think that there are actually going to be 50 schools that will have the resources to pull off what Brian Kelly was just mentioning. That number probably is going to be more like the 40 where we've talked about the two different 20-team super conferences, if it comes to that. And everybody else then is left in the mix for what? Nick Saban also thinks that we're headed for that, uh, for that super conference look. It's not my job or my role uh, to understand the dynamics of uh, what's in the best interest of 
college football, the SEC, uh, other conferences in terms of how they expand. But I do think if we move toward the mega conference, again, that whole thing about competitive balance is going to be in question. Look, I'm not here to say we should have it or we shouldn't have it, but if we have two 20-team leagues, um, you know, how is that going to impact all the people that are not in those leagues? Uh, that's a question for all of you to speculate and answer on. I, I really can't speculate on that. Boy, I feel like a genius when I hear Nick Saban say the same things that I just talked about. <laughs> Finally, uh, I want to touch on this from Lane Kiffin, who was very blunt, the Ole Miss coach, very blunt about how he's looking at such things like NIL after now a season plus of it. Well, the first question is the keys to NIL and how do you do well at that? You have really good boosters. That's how you do well at it. So um, I'll say what other people don't say, as you know. So it's like a payroll, you know, in baseball. What teams win over a long period of time? Teams that have high payrolls and can pay players a lot. So um, we're in a situation not any different than that which is what I'm not saying I didn't, I'm sure other people said it. I said it day one, you legalize cheating, and so get ready for the people that have the most money to get the best players. And now you have it. So it is what it is. And as far as a general manager to manage that, we aren't allowed in the current system to manage what they make. So um, so there isn't, well, we're not there yet. And I don't know that we ever will be. That's just what I said it should be because that's what any other you know, professional sports, which is what we are now, does. Lane Kiffin dropping some pretty harsh words for those who want to say that college football is not in the midst of that move to professionalism. I think he uh, laid it out pretty doggone good. You may not agree with Kiffin with some of the things that he has done over the years, but his assessment on this level is right on point. And it does make it interesting, as a coach in an NIL era, the boosters are the ones that are taking care of what they're paying players, what they're giving players in return for ads or whatever. But the coaches are to have no say over any of that. How interesting that is when you look at it that it adds a bit of pressure to the coaches in that their decisions may not match what the NIL boosters are deciding to do. You could see a backup quarterback win the starting role in camp, for example, but the NIL may be paying the other guy much more. Man, how uncomfortable has that got to be for a coach? Which is why he made the comment regarding general managership, essentially, for coaches going forward. By the way, talking about SEC Media Days, uh, just to note, Pete Thamel who had the report last night on the Big 12 saying no thanks to the Pac-12. Thamel notes that uh, that uh, Nick Saban 
actually sat down with Jimbo Fitcher, Texas A&M's coach, and had a conversation. Said he had no issues with Fisher and that he took his words to heart. But the Tide coach again addressed the lack of guardrails when it comes to NIL in creating a competitive balance issue. Probably for the haves, which obviously at Alabama we're one of the haves, uh, it's probably a good thing. Uh, for some of the have-nots, uh, some of the, you know, sort of, I don't want to know what you would say, second half of each league, you know, maybe it won't work out as well. Uh, maybe there's some system like, you know, the pro soccer league in Europe um, where you can, you know, play your way into it. I don't know how it all works out. Uh, I know that one thing that we've always tried to do is keep competitive balance in college athletics. Um, and I think this could affect that, you know, significantly for, you know, some people in college football. The coaches know what the situation is. They understand it completely. Got to give credit to them. They, they get it. They understand it. They know where they are in this situation. And they may not like it, but at least they're fully cognizant of what their challenges are at this point. SEC Media Day is going on this week. Pac-12 is slated for next week. Oh, that's going to be interesting. And you've got the Big Ten ones coming up as well, which will be intriguing with the UCLA and USC move now just a year away. By the way, and we haven't touched on this, there is some discussion out of the governor's office in California that, well, there may be a lawsuit coming against UCLA, per se, because they're a state school and would be leaving behind Cal, specifically, the other state school in that league. USC's private. Stanford is private. So it would be essentially UCLA versus Cal in fighting through a potential lawsuit related to UCLA's move to the Big Ten. It will be intriguing to watch and see. Thus, like sands through the hourglass, <laughs> these are the games of our life. Okay, okay, anyway, 522, as the game continues, there's a team in the mix at the Vegas Sportsbooks that just doesn't make sense to me as a potential high-money winner this coming season. Yeah, we'll talk about that next here on The Game. Troy Coverdale with you as The Game continues. Sajay running things this afternoon. I'm... Assuming she's well prepared for Ask Us Anything. Okay. We've got the All-Star Game, by the way, coming up in just over a half hour for you as the festivities in Los Angeles get underway in the next hour tonight before two days off for Major League Baseball after that. The, let's see here. I, I've got to make sure. Uh, it is. The Superbook at Westgate Las Vegas. Buddy of mine loves 
to go to the Superbook. Visits there twice a year. He's also the one who, by the way, uh, used to hit me up quite a bit during Big Sky basketball season on betting tips. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> because because you could essentially bet a home team and be pretty pretty solid in most cases. Um, as of right now, the teams that are being looked at as popular for the coming season, potential college football playoff champions, well, Alabama and Ohio State are right there, as you would expect. It's part of why I don't understand who's next. USC. The Trojans have seen their odds improve to 25 to 1, the sixth best odds going into the year. This is a team that was 4 and 8 last year, but of course, they've got Lincoln Riley now as head coach and a bunch of high profile transfers, including Caleb Williams at quarterback and Jordan Addison, the wideout from Pitt. USC has reportedly attracted more bets and more money to win the national title than any other team at the Vegas location for the Superbook. The increased interest has reminded some in Vegas of the Trojans' dynasty of the early 2000s, you know, back when K-State beat them twice, Back in that era, Vegas sportsbooks found themselves rooting against USC on a weekly basis. The quote from veteran odds maker Ed Salmons, if they go out and roll a couple teams early, the public will be all over them every week. If they happen to click from day one, absolutely, the public will be on them. However, the gap between the Trojans and the top-tier contenders in the odds remains significant. Bama, Ohio State, Georgia remain the top. Alabama, odds of plus 180 right now. Ohio State and Georgia close behind. They're at about 4-1 to one odds right now. No other team has odds in the single digits. Still, what is it about heritage brands like USC, like the Yankees, like the Packers or the Cowboys? What is it about these heritage brands that draws in so much interest when it comes to betting? It's like the one hint of success for any of them, and then the public is all over them. I mean, I will grudgingly admit the Yankees are having a tremendous season. I mean, they're helped out playing at a softball field, but that's another matter altogether. 
But the moment that any of those teams revs it up, boy, oh boy, oh boy, do the fans pick up and go nuts. And the media does as well. It just is one of those amazing quirks to me about how a team can go 4-8 and eight last year, but because they hired a coach who has been in the college football playoff and brought in a couple key transfers, they think that, boom, right away, boom, USC is going to, boom, do something. I think I'm going to be off to the side having a good laugh when it's all said and done, but that's me. Oh, by the way, I happen to be one of the oddities around here. I'm also a Notre Dame fan. That's family heritage there a little bit, so I I know as a K-Stater that that's not... I know that as a K-Stater that that is frowned upon to be both. But, you know... I've, I've got a special dispensation from the Pope, so I should be all right. I'm going to confession for that one, aren't I? 535, our time. We're back with the uh, number two song of the day when we continue. Would you believe the Stones didn't reach number one with Start Me Up? One of the most well-known guitar riffs in rock and roll. Nope. Why? There was that damn Christopher Cross. Arthur's theme. I'm not kidding. What do you mean by that, though? Oh, listen to you. Yeah. What, are you a Christopher Cross fan? (laughs) Are you one of them yacht rockers? No, uh, no, I'm fine. (laughs) Halloween 1981. Start Me Up peaked at number two. First single from... Tattoo You, essentially the album that helped bring the Stones into the MTV era. You watch the video and it is almost humorous at the posing that Mick does at the beginning. Of course, the Stones had been making videos since the 60s. Michael Lindsay Hogg returned to direct the videos for Tattoo You as an album. But it was released in August of 81, right at the same time MTV launched. For many of the younger generation, it was the first time they'd seen Mick Jagger in action. The riff itself dates back to uh, 1977. Actually, first recorded the song the same day that they recorded Miss You in 77 
didn't like the two takes, tried it at varying points again over the next four years with a reggae feel, but didn't like it then either. Well, that's good. I don't think this would go with a reggae feel. They then put it away for a bit. When they needed a song for Tattoo You, they went back to the second take from 77 and reworked it. Oh, they didn't just go back to it and they're like, oh, it's fine after all. We don't care. We'll just put it on there. Here's what cracks me up. One of the all-time greatest riffs in rock and roll and Keith Richards is actually semi-upset that they did not keep it a reggae riff. He says, the story here is the miracle we ever found that track. I was convinced, and I think Nick was, that it was definitely a reggae song. And we did it in 38 takes. Start me up, yeah man, cool. You know, you know, ya Rastafari. And it didn't make it. So Richard says, and somewhere in the middle of a break, just to break the tension, Charlie and I hit the rock and roll version, and right after that, we went straight back to reggae. And we totally forgot about this one little burst in the middle until about five years later, when someone sifted all the way through the takes and found that one in the middle. It was just buried there. Nobody remembered cutting it, but we leapt on it again. We did a few overdubs, and it was like a gift, you know? So besides essentially plowing through 38 awful takes of this as a reggae song to get it on tet, I write? I mean, absolutely, what? Okay. This is not a reggae song. Uh... <laughs> Microsoft licensed it in 1995. Microsoft? Ads for Windows 95. Interesting, okay. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, anyway. Yeah, Windows 95. The cost reported at $10 million originally. It was re- related to be just $3 million, but it was the first TV ad for a Microsoft product. Well, he probably made a bit of money on that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just, just a bit. Uh, by the way, Tattoo You, the eighth consecutive Stones album to go to number one in America as an album. It was also their last Their next album, Undercover, peaked at number three, ending the run of chart toppers that started with Sticky Fingers in 1971. They have not been back to number one since. Everybody lost the Rolling Stones crave. Craze. Sorry. 60 years as a band this year. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? We're laughing about Vince Neil and Tommy Lee and Motley Crue just not being quite Motley Crue at this point. But then you've got Rolling Stones. I would also... Mick still preening like a rooster. I I would throw 
rush into that mix of like I know that obviously that is gone but they lasted for a while too yes to the point where it's like are they gonna walk out on stage with walkers kind of thing you know what I mean but the who oh yeah Roger Daltrey Pete Townsend specifically kept coming back it seemed like time and time and time again well if it's working then you might as well keep doing it Aerosmith yeah was another and at some point and I mean they'll continue to sell it's not like they're not I'm sure they I'm sure that a lot of these bands that are around forever they still get played on K, like K-Rock or whatever yes, rock stations all the time so yes, why do. would they stop too early Quote, quotes around too early. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I still can't believe it. So you recorded in the same session as Miss You, which I love. Love that track. Always have. It has one of the most recognizable guitar riffs of all time. And you nearly recorded it as a reggae song. I just can't. I don't know why they wanted it to be reggae so much. Like you said that, and I was like, what? They're, I mean, they're not reggae. Rolling Stones. No, Mick was always pushing the edge. I guess, but that doesn't mean you have to turn I mean, a song that's clearly not reggae and like force it to be reggae. You can argue, though, Miss You is by all rights a disco song. I yeah, you could argue that, but I feel like like rock and roll and disco go more hand in hand as genres than reggae and rock and roll. If that, but like. I'm not saying that they're not similar. I am just saying I feel like disco and and rock and roll have a similar place in my mind. By the way, the Stones, of course, had the good fortune slash misfortune of doing the Super Bowl halftime four years after the Janet Jackson debacle. So there's a lyric in here that got muted. Yeah? I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that tells you how uh, how the NFL and uh, probably that year CBS, if I remember right, rotated uh, rotated through. And uh, yeah, we're not uh, going there. Well, here's another little tidbit, by the way. It was originally entitled Never Stop, Not Start Me Up. Hmm. Never Stop. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ask us anything when we continue on the game. All right, it is time for Ask Us Anything. Are you ready, Troy? As ready as I'm going to be. Of course. Well, firstly, what is the weirdest movie ever you have ever cried at? Now, have you ever cried at a movie? That's a good question alone. You never cried at a movie before? I don't think so, but then again, 
I tend to be pretty selective about what I'm watching. Not an emotional man. Don't want to be emotional. Don't want to be emotional. <laughs> See, okay. When I was, I think it was, I was around nine. That was when like the third Star Wars movie, like the, of the prequels. Okay. That we had gotten that on DVD and I watched that. And for some reason I cried so hard at the final fight scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin. I don't know what my deal was, but that just made me so sad. I'm like, he's betraying his master. What is going on? As if I don't understand how Star Wars works. <laughs> um, let's see, what is your worst bad habit? Besides my Diet Coke drinking? You know, I mean, that that's kind of a bad habit, yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, listen, I've made it two days now okay. where I've opened the day with just a certain amount of Diet Coke, then it's been iced tea. That's good. Until, the, until getting in here for the show <laughs> and drinking another Diet Coke, but it's only been the two a day. Yeah. So I'm on day two. We're working on it. You got this. I, yeah, okay. I mean, I used to bite my nails when I was younger. I know a lot of people still yeah. do that, but yeah. one day I just said, I'm going to stop biting my nails. No, mine is honestly looking at the damn phone. Oh, you know what? That's me too. I used I used to have my slide phone. I never looked at my phone when I had my slide phone. This problem developed because I was also a news director at a radio station. Right. And so... You kind of need to be on your phone at that point. Right. That's why I called it the leash. Well, and a lot of jobs are also reliant on having smartphones nowadays. Yes. Like, even I worked at Walmart for a small period of time. Even there, you have to have some sort of, like, smart device to work. And I'm like, do I, though? Do I, what do I need right. this for? Right, right. <laughs> um, your first job? What was your first job? Washing dishes at the coach house. Oh, wow. Outside of Holton, Kansas. And how old were you for that? I uh, was 16. Oh, wow. All right. Washing dishes. The bus boy. Yeah. <laughs> See, Ick. my first job was also, it was a radio job, actually. And like when I said I've been in radio for six years, that was my first job. There you go. Just so happened to be it, I guess. That's how it works out. Um, One more. What is something you've always wanted to learn how to do? Ooh. That's a great question. Honestly, probably play guitar. That's what I was thinking. Because, like, I'm a musical person. But for some reason, I picked up the guitar at one point in my life. And then I learned a couple of chords. And then I put yeah. it down. Yeah, <laughs> and then I stopped much. learning the guitar for pretty some much. reason. Yeah. So, That's, no, it's the same thing. Yeah. It, it disappeared very quickly out of the mix. Well, and I'd also like to learn other languages at some point. That's just something that I've always wanted to do. See, you still got the time to do that. Yeah, yes, for now. <laughs> Until I get a big girl job. Right? Oh, boy. All-Star Game on the way. As we'll take you to L.A. for ESPN Radio's coverage of the game tonight. I think Boog is on the call tonight, Boog Shambi. As uh, he'll have it for you. Roxy Bernstein last night on the Home Run Derby. Boy, it was good to hear Roxy who's uh, doing games for the A's, but is a friend uh, of the program, if you will, from back talking about Big Sky Basketball. The game intact tomorrow, we hope. Mitch, Dave G, myself, with you tomorrow starting at 4.